thank God for how good he's been to us in the uh, in the meeting this far. And um, I've got a couple things on my heart. I'd like you to turn to the book of Joshua. Uh, the book of Joshua, chapter 3. And um, probably I'll go ahead and grab some of this stuff up here and bring it with me just in case. Um, the Lord lets us get to this part. Um, set this up here as well. Um, pray real quick and ask God uh, for His blessing on the remainder of the uh, of the meeting. Got to learn some new songs today. Amen. And uh, that's uh, I appreciate you putting a putting a uh, a hymn in there before I before I got up to preach, brother. That's a real blessing. And uh, I was I was having. <laughs> Anyway, man, I'm telling you, we've had a good time, and uh, I just—it's uh, good to see—it's uh, good to see rows filled with young people uh, that want to serve the Lord, and I thank God for that. You don't see that in a lot of places, and uh, boy, I thank the Lord. Uh, what a privilege it is just to be here and to uh, have an opportunity to preach to you for a little bit. Joshua chapter three, Father, in Jesus' name, Lord, I thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness. Lord, I thank you, Lord, for the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. I do ask you, Lord, to uh, help, Lord, in a special way, uh, God, that only you can. Lord, I pray, Father, that you would uh, have mercy on me, Lord, as, um, Lord, the preacher has been asked to, to preach, Lord, in this. Maybe, Lord, the most important service, Lord, as far as uh, if a service, Lord, may affect future generations. God, I, I don't deserve, uh, God, this privilege. Father, I, I surely, Lord, don't deserve, God, your help or your power. But Father, I do ask you, God, that you would forgive me, Lord, for where I failed you, Lord, that you would help me, Lord, to preach, uh, God, with a clear mind, a clean heart. And pray that you help me, dear God, to preach, Lord, in the demonstration and power of the Holy Spirit of God. Lord, I pray that you would guide my mind, Lord, to the things that you would have us to, uh, to say. Father, please help me in Jesus' name, Father, to be the vessel, God, you'd have me to be sanctified, set apart, and meet for your use. Lord, I, I humbly, Lord, I need your help in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Joshua chapter 3. Joshua chapter 3, and we'll begin reading here in, uh, in verse 1. Let's go ahead and stand up, and uh, we, we surely don't want anyone to, I don't think anyone's going to go to sleep uh, after all that good singing, but just in case, amen, y'all stand up, Joshua chapter 3, and uh, we'll begin reading here in verse 1. And, and Joshua rose early, and Joshua rose early in the morning. And they removed from Shittim and came to Jordan, he and all the children of Israel, and lodged there before they passed over. And it came to pass after three days that the officers went through the host, and they commanded the people, saying, When you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God, and the priests, the Levites, bearing it, then you shall remove from your place and go after it. Yet there shall be a space between you and it, about 2,000 cubits by measure. Come not near unto it, that ye may know the way by which ye must go. For ye have not passed this way heretofore. And Joshua said unto the people, Sanctify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. And Joshua spake unto the priest, saying, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and pass over before the people. And they took up the Ark of the Covenant and went before the people. And the Lord said unto Joshua, This day, why well, I begin to magnify thee in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that as I was with Moses, so will I be with thee. And thou shalt command the priests that bear the ark of the covenant, saying, When ye are come to the brink of the water of Jordan, ye shall stand still in Jordan. And Joshua said unto the children of Israel, Come hither, and hear the words of the Lord your God. And Joshua said, Hereby ye shall know that the living God is among you, and that he will without fail drive out before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Pharisites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, and the Jebusites. Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth passes before you into Jordan. Now therefore take you twelve men out of the tribes of Israel, out of every tribe a man. And it shall come to pass as soon as the soles of the feet of the priests that bear the ark of the covenant of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, shall rest in the waters of Jordan. 
that the waters of Jordan shall be cut off from the waters that come down from above, and they shall stand upon a heap. And it came to pass when the people were moved from their tents to pass over Jordan and the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people. And as they that bear the Ark were come unto Jordan and the feet of the priests that bear the Ark were dipped in the brim of the water for Jordan overfloweth all his banks all the time of harvest that the waters which came down from above stood and rose up upon a heap very far from the city Adam and beside Zeratin and these that came down toward the sea of the plain even the salt sea failed and were cut off and the people passed over right against Jericho and the priests that bear the ark of the covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground in the midst of Jordan and all the Israelites passed over on dry ground until all the people were passed clean over Jordan. And it came to pass, this is verse 1 of chapter 4, and it came to pass when all the people were clean passed over Jordan, the Lord spake unto Joshua, saying, Take you twelve men out of the people, out of every man a tribe, and command them, saying, Take you hence out of the midst of Jordan, and the place where the priest's foot stood firm, twelve stones, and ye shall carry them over with you, and leave them in the lodging place where ye shall lodge this night. You can go ahead and be seated this afternoon. And um, I, I really appreciated... Uh, preacher what you said the other day uh, it, it really is easy to get uh, backlogged on your Bible reading uh, during camp meeting and I've, 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 I find myself there quite a bit and so if, if you haven't got your daily uh, reading in we got it in for you this, this afternoon okay and, uh, but, so uh, if God will help me this afternoon the Lord began to put this chapter on my heart and um, as we get here to the third chapter of the book of Joshua just a little introduction to where the nation of Israel has found themselves here in this chapter. Israel has just finished wandering for 40 years in the wilderness. Literally just walking around in circles. You talk about a miserable condition. You talk about really a hopeless position and just wandering year after year. And, and, and as the years would come, there was a whole generation uh, that, that was before them that God was really just giving them time to die off because of their rebellion. God could not allow them to enter into the land of promise, into the land of Canaan, into the land of rest. Into the, and as you look through your Bible and as you study, a lot of times uh, you can make the comparison that Egypt is a type of the world. Egypt is a type of a lost condition. And that definitely fits into Bible typology. Uh, at the same point, you can also realize that, uh, that the, the wilderness is a type of a backslidden uh, Christian life, someone uh, who is saved and born again, but they're not living in joy and victory in the Lord Jesus Christ. And Canaan uh, can be very easily a type of the victorious Christian life, uh, the life full of victory, the life in the will of God, uh, the life with the power of God, a uh, life that has the presence of God manifest in their, in their walk on a daily basis. And that's what Canaan represents uh, in the Word of God. And, and it's, it's from a typology standpoint, you can look at it from other ways, but mainly and that seems to make sense and here's Israel they have been delivered they've been delivered from Egypt but yet they've been in the wilderness all of these years because there was a generation and this is what they said God was, had, had them uh, call a man from every tribe you remember and he sent them to go spy out the land got these 12 men and you got Caleb and Joshua as part of that number and they go out to spy the land out. They go there into the land of Canaan to, to go and bring a report back about what this land looks like. This land of milk and honey. This land that God has promised Israel. And they come back and, and Caleb and Joshua, man, they're on fire for God. They're excited about the possibilities. They're excited about going to places they've never been. They're excited about doing the will of God. I mean, you can make that application really quick. I mean, they were excited about missions. They were excited about going and telling people about the Lord Jesus. They were excited about maybe even in, enduring some personal danger for the cause that God had put in front of them. And they were happy and they were trusting God and they said, listen, it's a great land. Yeah, I mean, I know there's some hindrances. I know there's some stumbling blocks. I, I know there's going to be some trials and, and I know there's going to be some obstacles that only God can overcome. But listen, it's a good land and it's a great land and God is going to do great things. If we'll just follow him, cross over. But see, the problem was there was a bunch of them other fellas. Caleb and Joshua, that God said they had a different spirit about them. The rest of the folks, though, they brought up a bad report, an evil report. 
They said, oh my, there's, there's giants in the land. And uh, we're, just, we're just as grasshoppers before them is kind of the way they put it. And they brought that evil report and that whole generation, they rebelled against God. And they said, you know what? God's just brought us out here in this wilderness just to kill us. That's what he's done. That's why he delivered us out of Egypt. God just don't care about us. He just wants to see us destroyed. And they turned and rebelled against God. They rebelled against Moses, the man of God. They rebelled against all of the they, re, they rebelled against all the light that they had. The clear will of God for their life. And they said, no, we're going to do it our way. And we're not going to listen to what God has to say. And you have an entire generation. Can you imagine? Most of y'all are in your teenage years. Can you imagine living your entire life? I mean, from, from birth to this point, literally just walking around in circles, listening to your parents grumble and complain and murmur. See, the murmuring never stopped, preacher. The complaining never stopped. The, the, the bad attitude never stopped. And every day, this group of young people were reminded why they're walking around the desert in circles. Wake up every morning and hear mom and dad, oh, there's not enough manna. Oh, there's not enough this. Oh, there's not enough that. They never quit complaining. And God said, listen, I, I mean, I brought you out of Egypt. There ain't no way you're going into Canaan land. I, I brought you, I saved your soul. Uh, you didn't have to do anything. But listen, if you're not going to follow me, there's no way I can let you enjoy the victorious Christian life. There's no way I can let you possess your possessions. There's no way I can let you go into that land flowing with milk and honey with an attitude of rebellion and ungodliness and murmuring and complaining like you have. And for 40 years, that generation had to die off in order for God to be able to bring His people to the place He wanted them to be at. So as we get here to Joshua chapter 3, Israel's just, I mean, they've just finished this 40-year detour the last folks in that generation that disobeyed God and said, we're not going into Canaan. God said, all right, you're not going into Canaan. And that last, that last people that represented that generation, they just died. Moses himself has also died. God has handed the reins to Joshua and Joshua is beginning to lead the people of Israel. Joshua is, he's in a place where he's never been before. He's, he's uh, following uh, the precedent. He's following the ministry of a great man of God. And I have no idea what Joshua may have been feeling in, in this time and in this place. But God had some words of encouragement for Joshua. He said in verse 7, he said, As I was with Moses, so will I be with thee. Just like, Joshua, listen, just like I was with Moses. Just like that Red Sea parted when you were leaving Egypt. Just like I sent the plagues and brought you deliverance and your people and your parents and your family out of Egyptian bondage. Just like I sustained you for the past 40 years, even though you're a bunch of ungrateful, complaining, good for nothing, low down, sorry, ingrate. Just like I took care of you despite your ungodliness. Just like I was there to meet your needs as I was with Moses. Same way I answered Moses' prayers. The same way I helped Moses and gave him strength. The same way I spoke to Moses and encouraged Moses and helped Moses. As I was with Moses, so will I be with thee. I tell you, in, in this passage of Scripture, I don't know if there's a verse in Joshua chapter 3 that brings more encouragement to my heart today than verse 7 of this chapter. Listen, if you have godly parents in your life, all of you may not have godly parents, and that doesn't make you a different class of Christian young person than someone else. It just, it just means that you're blessed. That's all it does. It means that God has been so... You, you owe God a great, great, great favor in your life for being so good and letting you be the privilege of growing up in a Christian home. God's given you protection that others don't have. God's given you blessings that others don't have. And it don't mean you're better than anybody else. It just means, dear friend, you owe God a whole lot more. He's been so good to you. And if you do have somebody, maybe it's not your parents. Maybe you don't have godly parents, but maybe you have a mentor. Maybe you have a preacher. Maybe you have somebody who's loved you and cared about you and invested in you. And I'll tell you what blesses my heart is that God made a promise to Joshua. He said, just like I was with the man of God in your life just like I was with Moses so will I be with thee so here's the thing 
Israel's just finished all of these years that really, honestly, were wasted years. They were wasted years. Israel accomplished nothing in them 40 years of living in rebellion to the will of God. Young people, I tell you, these teenage years can either be years of wandering in the wilderness of self-will and lust and pride and rebellion, or they can be years of enjoying the presence and the power of God on your life. But that's your choice. God set the land before Israel. And Joshua even told him, he said, hey, there's coming a time and it's right now. Choose you this day whom ye will serve. If you're going to serve the Lord, serve Him. If you're not, then, then, then don't. But you've got to make a decision. There's coming a place and there's coming a time. And I believe it's been amazing just to see how God, in the messages last night, how God has brought uh, this, the preaching. Really, a lot of it's been towards the younger generation, our generation, uh, your generation, my generation. And dear friend, God is setting before you a choice. And we're going to have to make a decision. We're going to serve the Lord? Or are we just going to say, man, that was a great camp meeting? Really, I mean, some great singing and some great preaching and had a good time and got to enjoy the things of God. And So now it's time just to go back and live how we want to. We're going to have to make some decisions. And these, these teenage years, these young adult years, uh, they can either be spent just wandering around in circles every once in a while, uh, humbling yourself before God, seeing God supply some needs, going back into, in, into, the, into the habitual uh, area of, of conf uh, an old writer put it this way, the, the terminology is probably just not exactly right, but he put it this way. He said you've got to be wary of the sin of repenting and repeating. Repenting and repeating. Now real repentance produces, dear friend, a genuine change. But, 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 but and that's, that's what godly sorrow is all about. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repentant. Now God was writing to the church when he wrote that, and what he was saying was just like in the matter of salvation, godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of. But the sorrow of this world worketh death. You see, there's, there's godly sorrow and then there's worldly sorrow. And a lot of times, especially as a young person, I know what it's like to experience worldly sorrow. Most of the time, worldly sorrow occurs when you get caught. Oh no, mom and dad found out. Oh no, my preacher found out. Oh no, I'm so sorry. I need to, I, I'm going to be the first one in the altar tonight. Now, that's not godly sorrow. That's worldly sorrow. I mean, and worldly sorrow uh, for a lost person or a backslidden Christian doesn't stop after you become an adult. I mean, it, it goes on if you, if you don't get your heart right. Oh, no, I got caught cheating on my wife. Oh, God, I need to come and get right. That's worldly sorrow. But godly sorrow is what works repentance. Repentance, that, that change of direction, that genuine turning from turning from something to something turning from ungodliness to God turning from wickedness to the Lord Jesus Christ turning from whatever it is that idol that that false God and turning to the living and the true God the only way that that takes place in anyone's life whether that's a, a lost person who is um, engraved under the power of sin or whether that's a saved person who has willingly put themselves under bondage of sin the only way that happens in life is godly sorrow work with repentance to salvation it's a work of God. It's a yielding yourself to the Word and the working of God. And you see, godly sorrow is when you realize, you know what, I'm not sinning against my youth group. I'm not sinning against mom and daddy. I'm not sinning against my preacher. I'm sinning against God. It's God that I've offended. It's God that I've sinned against. It's God that I've rebelled against. And dear friend, when a, when a lost person or a backslidden person or someone who is doing their best to live for God, and listen, we fail God every single day of our life, even when you're trying to do what's right, but when you realize I've offended God, I've sinned against God, and you turn to Him, whether the preacher ever finds out about it or not, God, I've sinned against you. Lord, I looked at that and I shouldn't have. God, I thought that and I shouldn't have. Oh, God, will you please forgive me? Lord, if you'll help me, I'm not just going to confess it. I'm going to forsake it. Whoso covereth this sin shall not prosper. Kind of sounds like wandering around in the wilderness. Israel wouldn't get right. And so we have a lot of young people. 
And they're never going to leave the wilderness. You may be saved, but you're never going to leave the wilderness because you're unwilling to sell out, commit your life to the Lord Jesus Christ, confess and forsake the sin that does so easily beset you. Lay it aside. Lay the weights aside and run with patience the race that God has set before you. Looking into Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith. It's going to take, I mean, you're going to have to, friend, you're going to have to be willing to put some things aside and say, Lord, I, I, I failed you, I've sinned against you. But I don't want to just confess it. I want to forsake it. And, and I, I tell you what that looks like, friend. That's more, I tell you, it starts, it starts with, with the tear-filled trip to the altar. That's where it starts at. A lot of times, that's where it ends too. And, and we leave the meeting and we're just back to where we were. The, the forsaking it, dear friend, it has to do, I mean, there's going to have to be some radical action in your life. God, when you all go home tomorrow, say, Lord, you dealt with me about that this week. So Lord, I'm not going to just box it back up and put it in the closet and try to clean up my room and put all that ungodliness in a secret place where I'm not as prone to get back to it. God, I'm going to, I'm going to eradicate it from my life. I'm going to get rid of it. You heard a preacher this week talk about the old-fashioned burn barrels that they used to have, and they really did. I've seen that happen in church where God would move and people were getting right, and the preacher didn't want all that nastiness sitting on the altar where people were giving up. So they'd get a big old 50-gallon steel barrel out there in the yard and they'd set it on fire and everyone would throw their stuff in there and they'd burn it. And you might need to go home this week. Get your burn barrel. Get rid of some things. Say, Lord... I want to cross over Jordan. God, I want to live in victory. God, I don't want to waste my teenage years. God, I don't want to waste these years you've given me. And I tell you, dear friend, God gave me a tremendous privilege of being raised in a Christian home. I thank God for that. God gave me a tremendous privilege of, of having a, a preaching daddy and a praying mama and parents that cared about me and they loved me. But I tell you, dear friend, from 14 years old to 17, 17 and a half, I lived in rebellion. I never left church. I didn't have much of a choice. I wouldn't know where to go. I, but, but my heart was gone. My heart was gone. And you, know, you can sit in a church pew and still be 150 miles away. That's exactly where I was. And I tell you, I look back, preacher, with great regret on the wasted years the years when I had more strength than I'll ever have. The years, listen young people, when I had more time than I'll ever have. You say, oh, I'm just, I'm just enjoying it right now. Dear friend, listen, God has something for you to do right now in these years of your life. Don't waste it wandering in the wilderness. Every single thing, all the glitter of the world that looks so inviting from the confines, and that's what I felt like it was, from the confines and the protection of a Christian home. All the things that look so, even, even the things that weren't necessarily wrong or wicked, but the things, dear friend, that this world has to offer, whether it's cars or entertainment, and the list can go on and on. All of those things, they don't even... They don't even mean anything to me now. I mean, there's other things in the world that, that, that have a... The, the, you're, always, you're never going to get over a battle with the flesh. I'll tell you, friend, in these years, in these younger years, in these teenage years, in the young adult years, all those things that distract us from the will of God for our life. You know, Israel came to a place. They were so cold on God. They had forgotten the mercy and the grace of God to a place where they actually said, this is what they said. They said it would have been better for us to be back in Egypt. You talk, about, you talk about ungrateful, cold, backslidden. I mean, that's a rotten, wretched place to be. I'd rather be back in Egypt. I'd, I'd rather be back under Pharaoh. I'd rather be back under the bondage of sin. I just, and, and that's all the wandering is going to be. You know, the most miserable people, sometimes you hear folks say this, it's, man, the most miserable people in the world are folks who don't know the Lord. I beg to differ. There, there is a pleasure of sin for a season. I'll tell you who the most miserable people are. You know that's heard this said many times. Most miserable people are people who have been truly born again, but you're backslidden and you're cold on God. You, you, you know what's right, and you don't want to, you're not willing to submit to the will of God for your life. And the people wandering around in the wilderness are the most miserable people you'll ever meet. Because here's the thing. Whom the Lord loveth, He correcteth. He does. There's correction for the believer. Even as a father... Chasing at the Son in whom he delighteth. 
If you be without chastisement, God made it so clear, you're not a legitimate child if there's no chastening, if there's no correction from God in your life. I tell you, I wanted to shout, Brother Waters was singing last night about how I'm so thankful for the voice of God. I'm glad God speaks to me through His Word. I'm glad God convicts me through His Word. I'm glad, dear friend, listen, I, I tell you, there's been plenty of times, there's been plenty of times I failed the Lord. Maybe I failed by accident. Maybe I failed on purpose. I don't care to admit that, but there, there have been many times. And you know, God will not let me stay in that kind of a position without dealing with me. Now, God doesn't force us to do anything. But dear friend, whom the Lord loveth, He corrected. And if you've got parents that love you, that's how they started out too. They said, listen, that ain't right. You need to, you need to straighten up right there. Hey, I, I saw you doing this or acting this way or saying this or doing this. Hey, you, you really need to work on that. Especially in them younger years. Man, especially, boy, in three-year-old years. It's, it's amazing. You, know, you do a lot more chastening than you do correcting. The older you get, that correction, that reasoning. Dear friend, if you spend any time in the Word of God, there'll be correction. You say, well, I, I, don't, I, I don't believe God's really spoke to me about anything lately. How much of God's Word have you been reading? God doesn't speak to us in an audible voice. Now the Holy Spirit of God, dear friend, uh, He takes the Word of God and applies it. So if you have the Word of God hidden in your heart, you, you get backslidden and cold on God, you get rebellious to the will of God in your life, you better mark it down. The Holy Spirit of God will take the Word of God and convict your heart. But it's the Word of God. How much of the Word of God? How much time have you been spending in His Word? Now, we're getting into trouble. I haven't even started the message yet, so we're going to go ahead and go real fast. But they've wasted all this time wandering around in, in the wilderness. They're standing on the banks of the Jordan River. Can you, can you see, can you sense the anticipation of, of the nation of Israel? They've watched mom and dad reject God. They've watched, their, they, they've watched the generation before them just waste their life. You got folks here now. All they know is this mediocre, half-hearted, so-called Christian way of living. And it's nothing Christian about it. It's just religion. But now Joshua has showed up. God is getting ready to move in a way that they've never seen. And they're standing here on the banks of the Jordan River. On the other side is the victorious living. On the other side is the joy and the victory and the peace and the blessings of God. On the other side is where the power-filled life of walking with God is. And they're getting ready to cross over. Joshua's getting ready to lead them across. You know, a Jewish mission's a, a, a tremendous example for a Jewish person. So go and show him, you know, Moses, God used him in a great way. He brought the law. He gave the law. God used him to give the law to Israel, and he did. But the law can never get them across Jordan. The law can never get them into the promised land. What Moses could not do, God used Joshua. And you know, Joshua is just, it's basically the same word as Jesus. The deliverer, the savior. What, what Moses and the law could not do, Joshua and the grace of God was getting ready to do for Israel. Now, that's one comparison. But I want to make this comparison if God will help me. You think about this now. When Israel, had, when God brought them out of Egypt, and here comes Pharaoh and his host and his army, Israel's standing at another body of water. They're standing at the Red Sea. They're standing there at the Red Sea and all of, the, of what's left of Egypt is coming after them, getting ready to destroy them. What does God tell Moses? He said, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. See the salvation of the Lord. You, you talk about a great, I mean, that's a, that's a wonderful picture of salvation. There was nothing for Israel to do when it came to the salvation of their soul. Absolutely nothing, Brother Matt. God told them, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. It kind of sounds like there in the book of Isaiah 45 where God said, Look unto me and be ye saved, 
all the ends of the earth. For I am God and there is none else. You know what's amazing? There's no work required for salvation. Dear friend, there is no work, there's no process, uh, there's no list of good deeds, uh, there's no requirements, no check boxes you gotta check. Uh, dear friend, no things you gotta cross off on a list. Uh, there is no work necessary in salvation because the Lord Jesus Christ, He did all the work. He said it's finished. When Christ said it's finished, it was finished. The payment for your sin and for my sin was finished. The sin debt was paid. And Christ Jesus on the cross, he paid this. He did the work. The work's done. And Israel's standing there trying to find deliverance from Egypt. Egypt's always the type of the world. Pharaoh's a type of the devil. And they're coming after the nation of Israel. And God tells Israel, stand still. There's nothing for you to do except to see the salvation of the Lord. God brings them through the Red Sea. God parts that Red Sea. God delivers His people and He pours the water back across over the Egyptians and God said, hey, them fellows from Egypt that you've seen today, God said, you'll see them again no more. I have, I, I've, I've brought eternal deliverance for you. So as Israel was getting ready and trying to find deliverance from the world, trying to find salvation, there was nothing for them to do in the matter of salvation. There wasn't. The work was done. They had to look unto God. They had to look unto Christ. They had to look unto the Savior. The same thing today. Have you ever looked to the Lord Jesus Christ? Have you ever looked to Him for salvation? Have you ever looked to Him for the peace of God that passes understanding? You say, well, I've done this and I've done that. And I've said this prayer and I've thought this. And I've, I, I've, I've, I've been baptized and I've always been around the things of God. And I know my Bible. I'm not asking all that. I'm asking you this afternoon. Have you ever turned to Christ and looked unto Jesus as the Savior for your sin? Repentance towards God and, and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Repentance isn't a work. It's a ceasing from works. Repentance, dear friend, is a turning away and a turning to God. Have you ever looked unto Jesus Christ? He said, my debt's paid. My sin debt's already been paid. The work has already been done. Salvation has already been paid for. Have you ever looked to the Lord Jesus Christ? Look and live. Have you ever looked to the Lord Jesus? That's all they had to do for deliverance from Egypt. But see, this is different now. This is a different sea. This is a different body of water. They're not trying to cross the Red Sea. That, that already took place. God did all of that work. Just like it took the power of God for them to cross the Red Sea and for deliverance from the power of sin, it's going to take the power of God to help them to cross another body of water, the Jordan River, for deliverance from the self-life. But now God has some requirements Joshua chapter 3 for Israel if they're going to cross Jordan. The only requirement to cross the Red Sea for God's deliverance from Egypt was looking to me. But if you're going to cross Jordan, if you're going to have deliverance from yourself, if you're going to have deliverance from the wandering in the wilderness, if you're going to have deliverance from the rebellious life of a self-willed, backslidden teenager or young adult or older, it don't matter what your, what your age range is, but if you want deliverance from the wandering around in the wilderness, if you're going to cross over Jordan, there's some things that God has told them they're going to do. We're going to look at them really quick. Maybe a long introduction and a very, very short message. We see him right here, verse 1. And Joshua rose early in the morning. And Joshua rose early in the morning. God goes through a great amount of detail as you read through the book of Joshua. And many times, several times, God goes into, the Lord is really interested in wanting us to know the habits of his man, Named Joshua. You'll find it in chapter 8. You see Joshua rises early in the morning in chapter 8. And God goes into this great detail to tell us what time Joshua got up in the morning. We see that there's some consistency in the life of Joshua. And can I say this afternoon? If you're going to cross over Jordan, if I'm going to cross over Jordan, if we're going to go into that, if we're going to go into that life of victory in the Lord Jesus Christ, there is going to have to be some consistency in our walk with God. You'll never enjoy Canaan land like you can, like God wants you to, if you're not going to be consistent. 
I mean, and I tell you where consistency starts out. You see Joshua, uh, Joshua meeting with the captain of his salvation. You see Joshua walking with God. You see God talking to Joshua. You see God working in Joshua's life. For, he got up early in the morning. And Joshua rose early in the morning. I tell you, as, as a Christian, as a husband, as a daddy, Preacher, missionary, there's nothing that I struggle with more in my flesh than just simply being consistent. Consistently reading my Bible. Consistently trying to memorize the Word of God. Consistently trying to carry a burden for sinners and pray. Consistently uh, being uh, the godly example in my home. Being consistent. It's easy to leave a meeting like God's given us. And God's given us a meeting this week. God's blessed us this week. And it's easy to leave a meeting like this and go home. And I'm telling you, be on fire for God. But I'm telling you, dear friends, three or four days from now, if we don't sit on our heart, God... I want by your grace to be consistent even when I wake up four or five days from now and I don't feel like it. Joshua had some consistency. You have to get up. You say, Brother Samuel, I'm tired. Well, dear friend, let, 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 me, let me tell you this. You're more rested now than you ever will be for the remainder of your life. I promise you, guarantee. You say, oh, I don't know about that. i got to have my 11 hours of sleep. No, you don't. No, you don't. Joshua's in his youth here. All things considered, considering he has a whole ministry ahead of him. A lot older than we are in this text, but nonetheless. Joshua's been rising early. Joshua's been seeking God. All the days of, of Moses. There was times when Moses would leave the tabernacle and the glory of God was there. Joshua wouldn't leave. He said, God, I'm going. He said, I'm going after you. He said, God, it don't matter even if my mentor says I'm tired and it's time to go home. God, I'm not leaving the temple. I'm not leaving the tabernacle rather. God, I'm not leaving your presence. I'm not leaving my pursuit of you. God, if it means staying up till 3 o'clock in the morning trying to memorize my Bible. Oh, God, if it means waking up earlier than anyone does in the house so that I have some quiet time of prayer. Oh, God, even if it means starting to drink coffee so I don't go to sleep. Some of, most of you probably hate coffee. Listen, the older you get, the more you're going to love coffee. Most most of you will. And it's not, I mean, most of it, 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 it never does start tasting good. It just helps you stay away. God, even if I have to get up, I got a good friend of mine, Brother Chris Hewitt. We've been friends for a long time. And, and, and he'll get up, he'll get up, he, he, he wouldn't tell you this, but he gets up at five o'clock in the morning. That's when he gets up. Now, I mean, for a lot of adults, that's just normal. That's just normal. You got to get dressed in order to go to work. And if you're going to go to work, you got to get dressed. And if you're going to get dressed and make it to work in time and get something to eat on the way, you got to get up at 5 o'clock at over 4.30 in the morning. Brother Chris is a traveling preacher, a good friend of mine. He can get up whenever he wants to. His work is done most of the time in revival meetings and evangelistic meetings, and that means preaching during the evening. He can get up when he wants to. Dear friend, if he's going to spend time with God, if he's going to spend time in the secret place, he got to get up early. And this is what he told me. He said, Brother Samuel, he said, I've come to the place. He said, where, you know, many times I'm driving late at night, I'm preaching in the evenings, and I'm tired, and I'm going to bed at one in the morning or, or past one. Or it's something. And he said, but i got to get up. My day's not worth it. You lose so much if you don't spend them early mornings with God. And he said, I'll just get up. And he said, I'll make me a big old cup, cup of coffee. And he said, I'll just walk back and forth in my camper. And pray. You said, can, can you really pray standing up drinking coffee? Yes, you really can. You really can. If that's what it takes to stay awake. Listen, I mean, we're, we're mistaken if we really believe that you have to bow both knees and clasp your hands and say, oh Lord, listen dear friend, God wants to speak to you. God wants to meet with you. God wants to work in your life. But if you don't set aside some time consistently to seek God, if you seek me, God said, you shall find me. Jeremiah 33, 3, call unto me, and I will answer thee. I will. I will show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. But it's going to take some consistency. It's going to take some commitment. Say, God, I want to seek you. Lord, you mean more to me than anything else. And God, hey, if you will seek him, He'll be found of you. And I tell you what, well, bless your heart. You said, Brother Samuel, I can't do it. That seems so unattainable to walk in joy and victory. It seems so unattainable to have victory over sin. It seems so unattainable to have the power of God in my life. Surely you have to be a 40 or a 50 year old preacher before you can have the power of God in your life. Dear friend, no. No, God is just looking for someone who loves Him more than anything else. 
That's all he's looking for. That's all he's looking for. I tell you, I've been God's helped me. Oh my, God's helped me so much in the preaching this week. Listening to the men of God as they preach. Starting off Sunday, Sunday school with Aguiar dealing with leprosy. Oh my, you talk about convicting. It, it don't take much. You get, I mean, the, the whole point of that message, it still hadn't left me yet, preacher. The whole point of that message was, I mean, if you've got a little bit of questionable speck on your garment, you need to get rid of it. Put it in holding. Let the priest look at it. Take it to someone and say, hey, I'm not quite sure about this. You leave it in your garment, it's going to get on you. Oh, how we got to be careful about secret sin. There was some consistency that Joshua had in walking with God. If we're going to cross Jordan, it's not going to be, it's going to take some consistency. But dear friend, there's going to have to be some cleanliness. There's going to have to be some sanctification. You've heard this preached this week. Verse 5, and Joshua said to the people, sanctify yourselves. Here's why. For tomorrow, for tomorrow, the Lord will do wonders among you. You see what God's saying? He's saying, sanctify yourselves today because I want to work among you tomorrow. God's saying, get your life clean right now. For tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. I I wonder how many times as the people of God, we've pushed away from the table on Saturday evening. You said, Brother Samuel, what do you mean by push away from the table? I mean literally push away from the table and say, Mama, thank you for making such a nice meal. But I'm not going to eat tonight. Just to prove I'm not fooling around, my my phone's down here on the kitchen table, all that, but I'm I'm going to my room and and I'm seeking God and I'm asking God to search my heart because we get the great joy of worshiping the Lord in freedom in our our country. We're we're going to church tomorrow and we don't have to worry about a communist government trying to bust in and and, and mess up our our services and lock us up and and send us away. We don't have to live in fear of, at the moment anyway, of of the government being being, uh, against us. And we get to go to church with with freedom to worship God. And because of that freedom, here's the truth, friend, here, because because of that freedom, it's easy to get cold and lax and lazy. And we think because we drug ourselves into church that we're doing God a favor. And God's using Joshua to tell the nation of Israel, he said, listen, you're getting ready to cross over Jordan. God's getting ready to do something great for you. God is getting ready to change your life. God is wanting to work. He's wanting to do wonders among you. You better sanctify yourselves. Sanctify yourselves for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. I wonder how many of us would be willing to say, Lord, I'm 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 going to turn the Xbox off on Saturday. I'm going to turn the PlayStation off. Lord, I'm going to turn the TV off. God, I'm going to turn my phone off. I'm going to turn Facebook off. And maybe most of us ought to just turn it off and leave it off. If you don't have control over these these entertainment things, if you can't control them, if you can't put the controller down, if you can't turn the game off, if you can't turn the app off on your phone and just walk away from it for a day, if, if, I mean, if you're just addicted to it and you start twitching and you keep thinking you're mad at everybody, that's a good indication it has control over you and it's just as bad as being addicted to cigarettes or alcohol or the list goes on and on. If you can't live without it, then you ought to live without it. I'm not saying there's, there, there's wrong with these things inherently. But if it has control over your life, there's some things. I wonder, I wonder what, and that's a good place to start. I said, Lord, I'm turning it all off on Saturday. Lord, uh, we're not under the law. We're not required to do anything uh, as, as far as keeping the Sabbath from that standpoint. And, but Lord, I, we get to go to your house tomorrow. And God, I want to see you work in our church. God, I want to see sinners saved. God, I want to see you help my preacher when he stands behind the pulpit to preach. Lord, I want to see you work. Lord, I'm willing to to cut back and turn away and turn off some things, God, just to spend some time asking you to search me. Lord, there may be somebody show up to church on Sunday that quench you and grieve you, but Lord, please don't let it be me. Lord, there may be somebody there with a bad attitude. And God, you can work in their heart too, but Lord, please don't let it be me with a bad attitude. God, there may be somebody somewhere in our county that wakes up with an ungodly, I mean, just mad at the world attitude, kicking and screaming and fussing and fighting. All. But Lord, don't let it be me, please. 
Oh, God, don't let it be me. Lord, please, don't let anyone be guilty this week of grieving you or quenching you in the meeting. Lord, will you help my preacher to preach with unction? God, will you convict sinners? Will you draw sinners to salvation? When's the last time we said, Lord, I'm willing to give up a little bit. I want to see you work. You know, it's amazing. You get into other countries, get into places that are considered third world countries. I'm telling you, they're enjoying the power of God. The churches are. You get into some places and they don't have all of the amenities that we enjoy in America and we take for granted. You might have a lot of persecution, a lot of poverty. But, but God's real to them. And, and you know what's amazing? He can, be just as, he can be just as real to you as He is to them. The point is, they found something that means more to them than life. They found the Lord. And in our country, we fit into the mold of, of, of that Laodicean church almost, almost to the exact letter. God's writing to them in Revelation. And, and, and God's not even in the church. He's on the outside knocking on the door. God said they were increased with goods. And, and they, this is what they thought. They said, we have need of nothing. I mean, we got it all. We got air conditioning in our vehicles. We got air conditioning in our church. We got air conditioning in our house. I mean, we got this. We got, we got every gadget and device. We got everything that we could ever ask for or want. We're okay. We, we really enjoy our religion, preacher. Our religion's a good religion. We got a nice church. And we got a good pastor who doesn't get upset at us. And he doesn't make us upset. We got, I mean, we get to all of these great, we don't need anything. And God said, no, you're wretched. You're poor. You're miserable. You're blind. And you're naked. God said, listen, yeah, I mean, on the outside, you're the wealthiest of them all. You have all of these things. But in reality, when it comes down to eternal things, you're really wretched and miserable. God, help us to get our lives clean. God, help us to get our hearts clean. 2 Timothy 2.21, if a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel in honor sanctified and meet for the master's use and prepared unto every good work. Dear friend, listen, God can use a donkey. He made that so clear to Balaam. God can use a donkey. And there's times he has. God doesn't want to use a donkey. God wants a clean vessel. Ephesians 5.26 He might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. 1 Thessalonians 4 and Furthermore, then we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus that as you have received of us how you ought to walk and to please God, so you'd abound more and more for you know what commandments were given unto you by the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that ye should abstain from fornication, that every one of you should know how the oldest to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor not in the lust of concupiscence, even as the Gentiles which know not God. No man go beyond the fraud of his brethren in any matter. For the Lord is the avenger of all such. And dear friend, listen, God's desire for his people is for them to be a holy people, a clean people. And God was telling Israel, if you're going to cross over Jordan tomorrow, you better go ahead and do some house cleaning today. And lastly, and we're done. I haven't watched the time, but I, I do believe we are done. Thank you for your attention to the word of God. There's going to have to be some consistency. There's going to have to be some cleanliness. There's going to have to be some sanctification. But dear friends, somebody is going to have to be willing to take a stand. You see, it was rebellion to the Word of God. It was rebellion to the man of God. It, it was rebellion to, to the will that God had for His people 40 years before this time that had them wandering around. But now God says, through Joshua to His people, Verse 8, And thou shalt command the priests that bear the ark of the covenant, saying, When ye are come to the brink of the water of Jordan, ye shall stand still in Jordan. God makes a promise in verse 10. He said that God is among you, and He will without fail drive out from before you. And He lists all those folks. And then in verse 15, He said, And they that bear the ark when they came to Jordan, and the feet of the priests that bear the ark were dipped in the brim of the water. For Jordan overfloweth all his banks the time of harvest. See, this wasn't just a little stream and a little brook, a little, a little small creek. Jordan was overflowing all of its banks. Brother Stallman, there was not a worse time you could have picked to 
try to cross Jordan than right now. Say, I mean, surely couldn't we wait till after harvest? Jordan shrink back down. At least it would be inside of its banks. At least we could, you know, see the brim of the, of, of the water. And at least we could have a clear visual to know what direction we were going. But no, God said, listen, this is the worst time for you to be doing anything for God. And that's why I want you out there doing something for me. I'm a, I want you to cross Jordan right now so that all of those nations on the other side can see that only God. Listen, if Jordan was nigh on the dry and just a little trick on the brook, that ain't no big deal. Oh, they crossed over Jordan. They jumped across a couple stones, waded through part of it, and they got across. But when Jordan's overflowing all of its banks, you know, God had to have done something to get them. And this is what God said. He said, I want you to stand. I want you to stand in Jordan. You see in verse 17, And the priests that bear the ark of the covenant of the Lord, they stood firm on dry ground in the midst of Jordan. They weren't able to make it out to the middle of Jordan until they dipped their foot in the brink, in the brim of the water. God was expecting them. Back there in the Red Sea, all they did was look to Christ. All they did was look to God. God used His man and He raised up that rod. God parted them waters. But now God's saying, hey, you're going to have to take a step. Someone is going to have to take a step of faith and step off into the water. And the feet of the priests that bear the ark were dipped in the brim of the water. God is looking for someone to say, Lord, I'm going to be first. I'm going to sell out and give you everything. Lord, whether the rest of the group does, whether my family does, whether my brothers and sisters do, whether the rest of the youth group does, it doesn't matter. Lord, I'm going to go ahead and step into the brim of the water. God, it don't matter what anyone says. It don't matter what they make fun of me. It don't matter. It does not matter. God, I, I want your power in my life. It didn't cost me anything for salvation. The greatest gift the world's ever known. But there are some things that God is requiring from His people. There's some consistency, some cleanliness. But God is wanting these folks to stand. And the priests that bear the ark of the covenant of the Lord, they stood firm on dry ground in the midst of Jordan. And all the Israelites passed over on dry ground until all the people were passed clean over Jordan. The rest of Israel got to enjoy the blessings of God because there was a group of folks, there was a group of priests, there was a group of Levites. And they said, you know what? We really missed it back there. We're not going to miss it again. Mom and Daddy, they may have missed it. They've not, they, may, and they may have followed God, but they may not have followed God. Regardless of what they did, I'm going to follow God. I'm going to obey God. And they took that step of faith, and they stood firm on dry ground in the midst of Jordan. And God held the waters of Jordan back, and Israel went across. And, and, and listen, young people, I imagine most of you are Maybe even, no doubt, at, at this point in life, you're praying about God's will. Praying about God's will in marriage. Praying about God's will in vocation. Praying about God's will and possibly service for the Lord. You may not think that you have a lot of folks that are following your lead, but you have no idea the impact that God can use your life to make. Not only the people, the young people that are in, in your age range, but people all around you. I tell you, there's nothing more convi convicting to me, preacher. I, I'm, I'm, I'm almost out of my 20s. A little bit of a le year left. And I'll be 30. Nothing more convicting to me than seeing an 18-year-old on fire for God. Nothing more convicting to me than to see someone who's 16 or 17 or 14 or 13, I'm counting backwards, but or 12 or 11. Nothing more convicting to me than to see someone a little bit younger than I am, on fire for God, praying more than I pray, working more than I work. Do it. It, it provokes me to godly jealousy. And there's people, dear friend, that you're friends with that, that God wants to use you to pave a way for them. But there, friend, there's people, I tell you, you go back and steady revivals, the great works of God, and it always seems like it always started. That kindling of that fire always started in a youth group somewhere. And young people, they said, I'm crossing Jordan whether anyone else is or not. God, I'm going with you. 
Lord, if it means going back to my clothes closet and laying out every article of clothing I own and praying over every article of clothing and saying, Lord, is this modest? Are you pleased with me wearing this? Does this bring glory to God? If it means going back to my game cabinet and pulling every game out of there and saying, God, are you pleased with this? Lord, if you had free time, would you stick that in the Xbox and play it yourself? You say, Brother Samuel, that's radical. Do you want to cross over Jordan? You can wander in the wilderness as much as you want to. You can. It's, it's up to you. God did not make Israel cross Jordan. But after 40 years of letting them wander around in their misery and their self-will and their rebellion, the generation died off and God said, I brought Joshua here. You can cross over Jordan. You can follow the man of God. Or you can keep on living where you are. And you want to know what's amazing? There were some tribes who chose to stay back, didn't they, preacher? They said, no, we kind of like it over here. They already had it made up in their mind before Joshua ever came on the scene. They already had it made up in their mind. They said, yeah, we'll go over there and fight. You know, we'll go to church. We'll help out. We're going to stay over here on this side of Jordan. We're not, willing about, we're not willing to cross over. Just a little bit too inconvenient for us. Dear friend, they went into such idolatry. You couldn't even recognize. By the time that the Lord Jesus came about to begin His earthly ministry. They had left from being everything that God had for them to be at one point. The most cursed thing for a Jew would be to be around swine and Christ goes over there to the other side of the shores there. What are they doing? They're keeping swine. Where they were the man of the Gadarenes were. That's where them other tribes that chose to stay on that side of Jordan where they were they went from following God they went from they went from living for God and they just ah, I mean I love the Lord but I don't love him that much I mean I, I really do I, I, I love I mean I appreciate church but that, that's just a little bit too much I know, I know Jesus loved me and gave his life for me and paid my sin debt but I don't know about that that surrender thing that, that submission thing that, 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 that the consistency oh, the, the cleanliness, getting my life clean before God and, and, and really allowing God to turn the light on on anything that He wants out of my life, it's just a little bit too much. I mean, I know He purchased me with His own blood and, and I know He died for my sin, but that's, I don't know. I just, I'm going to stay on this side of Jordan. And they did. Just kept on wandering. Now listen, friend. God, God in this chapter, was making clear some requirements for Israel. But you do understand, in your strength, in your power, in your ability, even though God has now given some requirements for the Spirit-filled life, in your might, in your ability, you can't do that. It takes a submission to the will of God. God's looking for a vessel that He can clean. He's looking for a vessel that He can use, and He wants to clean your vessel. He wants to use your vessel. God's just looking for someone who's willing. You know, there's folks that go through and they, and, and they start getting rid of things. And they say, well, I still don't have any joy. I wonder why I don't have any joy. And boy, they say, I mean, just miserable folks. It, it's not about the things you get rid of. Sanctification. It's sanctification and separation from the world. But then it's separation to God. And if you don't replace the things of this world with the things of God, you'll be the most miserable young people. I mean, you just, you'll be miserable. God's not asking you to go around and dress like an Amish or a Mennonite and completely, you know, I mean, put blinders on your eyes and, and look like, I mean, but that's not what God's asking you to do. But I tell you what God is asking. He's asking you to surrender and submit completely to His will. And when God puts something in your heart to get rid of, something for you to put on the side something for you to burn and remove out of your life something for you to let God take away from you God wants to replace that with something I'm telling you friend living for Jesus is the greatest joy you will ever experience waking up in the morning and reading God's word and, and the fellowship with God knowing that there's nothing between my soul and the Savior you can't replace that brother Ben you can't replace that can't replace that. Joy. Living in Canaan land. 
couldn't get out of Egypt without God's help. You can't cross Jordan without God's help. But are you willing to pay the price and say, Lord, whatever it is you'd have me to do, whatever it is you had me to go, Father, you deserve it all. God, I want to be a living sacrifice. And that's what God's looking for. He's not looking for a dead sacrifice, is he? He's looking for a living sacrifice. Holy, acceptable unto God. And God sums it up in Romans chapter 12, which is our reasonable service. Just reasonable. Just re God is not asking, what God's let us look at, th these three little principles, that is far from unreasonable. Consider what Christ paid on Calvary. It's just your reasonable service. Say, Lord, you've redeemed my life. It's really yours anyway. I'm going to quit hoarding what's really yours. Bring it back to you. Submit it and surrender it to your service. Father, in Jesus' name, Lord, I ask you,